Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey guys, welcome to a special edition of the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is David Walker, and today we're going to discuss the pro football focus scores for the Atlanta Falcons at the midway point of the season. In today's edition, we'll discuss the offense, including some of the scores and the trends that stand out the most. With that said, let's just jump into it. So first, I want to answer the most obvious question, why PFF? Uh, first of all, um, we obviously have conventional statistics, QB ratings, the raw numbers that are available to all of us. The reason I personally prefer pro football focus in uh, advanced statistics, number one, it's consistent league-wide grading. It is a uh, way of grading players that you can compare uh, across positions, across teams, uh, within your division, across divisions. Secondly, uh, you get grading at every single position. So this isn't uh, a statistic like ESPN's total QBR, which only applies to quarterbacks. Uh, these are grades that are applied to every single position, yes, even including kickers and punters. Um, so that is something that's somewhat rare in the advanced statistics space. Usually statistics are focused on the most notable players like a quarterback or a wide receiver or running back. Uh, this is for every single position, left guard, right guard, uh, kicker, long snapper, across the board, everyone gets a grade. Um, also, these statistics are now used by many NFL front offices. Um, this, this company, Pro Football Focus, has grown substantially over the years. It is now co-owned by Chris Collinsworth. Uh, you have probably seen uh, the, the PFF scores integrated into Sunday Night Football. Uh, so there is something to be said about the fact that the NFL has embraced these advanced stats, which started outside their walls. You know, Pro Football Focus is not an NFL company. It started uh, as an independent company. And their stats have been adopted sort of across the board. So uh, it, it is not a perfect uh, set of statistics, um, but it's, in my opinion, it is far better than just general observations or raw data. Um, for instance, it doesn't factor in the quality of the opponent. So if you're beating up on lesser teams, uh, you may end up with an inflated score, whereas you know uh, someone who is playing against tougher defenses uh, may struggle more because those you know they're playing against a higher caliber uh, of of opponents on a week by week basis, um, and you know we've got stats that take that into account. So I think anytime you talk about advanced statistics, um, it's good to take uh, sort of a cross reference of all of them. So don't purely rely on PFF. Uh, you know, use stats like DVOA or DYAR from Football Outsiders, ESPN Total QBR when you're grading quarterbacks. 
Um, these are all great ways to evaluate uh, players, teams in the NFL without purely relying on uh, standard statistics. One last thing I want to add about the advanced statistics, why I prefer them uh, in general and in, in pro football focus uh, for a large extent, is when you look at just standard NFL provided statistics, uh, if you've got a quarterback that throws a pass that goes three yards in the air and the receiver runs it for 35 yards, for regular statistics, you see a completion that went for 35 yards. PFF takes into consideration which player really carried the weight on that play. So when the play like the one I described, the quarterback doesn't get much credit. It was a short pass. It was an easy pass. The receiver gets more credit for turning that into a 35-yard gain. Likewise, if you see a quarterback taking a sack in the game, regardless of the circumstances, standard statistics will say, you know, this NFL lineman was responsible for the sack. Well, you've seen many times where you've got a quarterback that holds onto the ball for too long, uh, and your, your offensive line did a great job of uh, protecting him, giving him a pocket to throw out of, and ultimately the sack happens because he holds onto the ball. Well, standard statistics are going to credit that sack to one of the linemen. Pro football focus actually will credit the quarterback with the sack in that circumstance. So it, it gives you a much better feeling of what the actual performance of the players is like uh, you know, in the game and across the season. Uh, so you can see if, you know, if you've got a lot of sacks, is that the fault of the quarterback? Is it the fault of the offensive line? Um, pro football focus, their statistics, statistics gives you a much better idea in general of the quality of each individual player. Now, again, on a game-by-game -game basis, you're going to see some variances. Uh, that's why I prefer to look at these stats across a larger sample. And that's why we're looking at it at the halfway point of the Falcon season. We're at the bye week. We've got eight games down. What does the 2019 Falcons offense under Dirt Cutter look like this year? So let's start with that. Let's talk about who the top five guys are based on the PFF scores and you know where they rank. So to give you some guidance here, the you know, Pro Football Focus has uh, a 0 to 100 grading scale. But it's not, you know, it, you wouldn't look at it in the same way you would scores like you did in high school where uh, an F is 60 and below and so on and so forth. Uh, they've laid out sort of a scale for us uh, and they put it on a color scale. So blue is sort of the top tier. It's like 90 points and above. Those guys are what you consider elite. That's where you'll see the Aaron Donalds of the world, um, the, the Tom Brady's of the world consistently get ranked. You then have a next tier which is a darker green, which indicates a high-quality starter, someone that's going to be you know, a pro bowler multiple years. Beneath that, you've got light green, which is someone that's above average, so they play you know, fairly well for their position across the entire NFL, someone that's worth obviously keeping on your team. Uh, below that, you get to yellow, and this is where you start to see you know, an average quality player. It's, they're not necessarily bad. They're not great. They're just, again, they're just sort of mediocre right you know, across the board. Uh, orange is where you start to get concerned. These are below average players. These are guys that, you know, you really start to think about replacing. And then red, these are poor players. These are guys that are struggling, uh, that there should be a clear upgrade over them somewhere on your roster or potentially, um, elsewhere, uh, either on the street or, uh, as a backup on another NFL team. So let's talk about the top five offensive players for the Falcons. Uh, number one is probably not going to surprise anybody. 
That's Julio Jones. Obviously, he is one of the absolute best in the league. I will say his score this year is a little bit lower than it has been uh, in previous years. Normally, he is in that elite tier for PFF. This year, he is just simply a high-quality uh, starter, so take that for what you will. His score puts him you know, close enough that you could say he's high-quality to elite. Second on the list, is, is this may surprise some people, uh, is actually Austin Hooper. Um, he is having a fantastic season. Um, and actually, from a receiving standpoint, he is our ha- highest-graded receiver, uh, including above Julio Jones on the season. So uh, he, again, is someone that ranks as one of those high-quality starters, someone that uh, is you know definitely worth keeping, uh, someone that ranks towards the top at his position in the league. Number three on this list, probably not surprising, Matt Ryan. Uh, again, his grades compared to where he is normally trended in the past is a, a little bit lower. And obviously the, the first few games of the season with all the interceptions probably played a big factor into that. Um, but he is still what you would consider to be uh, above average to high quality. So he is, again, in that preferable tier for your receivers or for your uh, offensive skill players. Number four on this list um, is probably going to surprise a few people. And it's a little surprising for me. Uh, and I, I want to put a grain of salt with this because the total number of snaps, obviously, is going to factor into this. Number four is tight end Jaden Graham. Uh, he is ranking as uh, well above average, potentially bordering on high quality. Again, he has a very, very limited number of snaps. So please take this with a grain of salt. I will also point out who number six is because of the snap counts. Um, Number five on this list, Calvin Ridley. Um, He is having a a good season. He, you know, on the quality scale, he is ranking as above average, uh, bordering on high quality. And he is someone that uh, I think has has stepped up a little bit in his second year. Uh, Even if the statistics don't necessarily show, you know, a huge step up, he is someone that is trending in the right direction. Uh, number six, like I said, because Jaden Graham has a low number of snaps, uh, number six I want to point out is tackle Jake Matthews. I've talked a lot about him on Twitter. Many of you have argued with me about whether or not he's worth keeping. Uh, according to PFF, he is uh, above average, bordering on high quality as well, uh, and he is having a, a really strong season. Uh, not incidentally, he is considered to be our best pass blocker of all of the offensive linemen Uh, And the score he has there is high quality. So uh, Jake Matthews is not the reason for a lot of the sacks uh, in the offensive struggles this year. He is far from it, according to PFF. Uh, So again, take that with a grain of salt. Now, the bottom five. Some of these names will not be entirely surprising. I am going to leave off some of the guys that have very limited offensive snaps. I don't think it's fair to them when you play like five, ten snaps and you get graded poorly. It's, It's, again... Uh, small sample sizes. So I'm going to stick with the guys who have a relatively high sample size or enough that it's sort of gives you enough of a belief that that number is accurate for their performance. At the very bottom of the list is tackle Ty Sombreo. Um, his grade puts him firmly in the poor category. I know this is not a shock to anybody. Um, his pass blocking is below average. His run blocking is just poor. Uh, He is someone, obviously, I think the Falcons will move on from in the very near future. Um, Next up on that list, uh, and this is, again, disappointing, maybe not entirely surprising, is guard James Carpenter. Um, 
He also ranks uh, as below average to poor. So he is teeter-tottering in that range. Um, his uh, pass blocking is uh, poor. His run blocking is poor. Uh, he has not performed up to par. Uh, he's arguably one of the more disappointing free agents we've signed this year. Uh, next up on the list is uh, Keith Smith, uh, the fullback that we brought in. A lot of people were excited about him. Um, he is ranked below average into the poor category. Uh, I guess most importantly, as a run blocker, he is simply below average. Uh, as a pass blocker, he is poor. Uh, so again, uh, you know, it's it's. I don't want to slam on these guys too hard, but these are the scores that we've got. So we're going to deal with them. Um, fourth lowest uh, for guys who have enough snaps to qualify, Devontae Freeman. I know this is going to be. For many of you, not entirely surprising. Um, he is ranking sort of in the average to below average category. So I guess if there's some good news here, uh, he is not necessarily completely below average. He's sort of trending in that in that area, but he's more average than anything. Um, you know, he's average as a receiver. Um, as a runner, he's got, you know, he's sort of ranked poor, uh, below average to poor. Um, what's kind of surprising here is his pass blocking grade. I know many of you can only remember the Super Bowl uh, performance where he missed you know, some key pass blocks. Devontae has always been a good pass blocker, that particular game notwithstanding. Uh, and he actually ranks as a high-quality pass blocker. Um, and that is something that, that matters here because if we look at some of the other running backs on this list, that is not going to be the case. Um, although I will say, to his credit, um, Edo Smith uh, actually ranks in the same uh, score-wise as a pass blocker that Devontae Freeman does. And Edo Smith ranks much higher as a runner uh, and as a receiver uh, than Devontae. So finally, uh, the fifth worst uh, starter for the offense, according to PS PFF, uh, through the midway point of the season, uh, is guard Wes Schweitzer. So, he is someone that has, uh, again, a, a sort of below average pass blocking grade, uh, about an average run blocking grade. He is someone that uh, is not, you don't want him to be a starter for very long. Uh, he is obviously someone the Falcons did not intend to start much this season, but obviously the injuries to both James Carpenter, uh, Chris Lindstrom, and um, uh, <clears throat> Jermon Brown have caused him to be back in the starting lineup. Uh, much to the chagrin of the Falcons' front office. So, uh, again, so that bottom five at the bottom of the list, we have Ty Sombreo, James Carpenter, Keith Smith, Devontae Freeman, Wes Schweitzer. Um, those are the, the top five, the bottom five. Uh, again, not a huge surprise for those of us who've been watching the team. I think some of these names we expected to be on these ends of the spectrum. There's some guys that are sort of in the middle here. The good news is we've got a lot of guys who are playing uh, what you would consider to be above average. So there's some potential there, especially some of our young guys. We'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, but before we jump into that part of the discussion, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. And we're back on the Falcoholic podcast. This is David Walker. We're talking about the pro football focus scores for the Atlanta Falcons offense through the midway point of the 2019 season. So in the previous part of the podcast, we talked about the top five guys, the bottom five guys. I now want to talk about some of the trends. First, I want to talk about the offensive line. Obviously, coming into the season, the Falcons made a very concerted effort to address the offensive line. They wanted to make sure that it wasn't just uh, Alex Mack and Jake Matthews uh, as quality starters on this line. Um, Obviously, last year with the injuries to Andy Levitri, um, and, and a few of the other guys, they had some rotations going on. Um, and, you know, we ended up with Sembrios, a starter at right tackle for a long period of time. And it was a very frustrating performance in 2018. So the Falcons obviously spent two first-round picks on Lindstrom and McGarry uh, to try to address the issue of the offensive line. So let's just talk about, you know, some of the these guys, how they've done, uh, what, what are the trends we're seeing. Uh, and how they've done compared to you know where they used to be in the past because I think it's very informative about you know maybe one of the units that is struggling the most on this Falcons team. Now I already mentioned that Jake Matthews ranks as one of the, the top five best players uh, on this offense. Um, you know again taking Jaden Graham out of the equation because of limited snaps. Um, the thing about Jake is he is having a really strong season as a pass blocker. His run blocking is particularly poor. And historically, Jake has been uh, a much better run blocker at times than he's been a pass blocker. Um, His pass blocking has always been good, sometimes what you consider to be high quality, above average. His run blocking historically has been uh, borderline elite. He has usually been one of our best run blocking offensive linemen. Um, and if I look across the board at all of the run blocking scores for the Falcons offensive line, I'm looking at Matthews, uh, I'm looking at Alex Mack, uh, you know, Caleb McGarry, Jamon Brown, Wes Schweitzer, um, uh, James Carpenter, all of these guys, not a single one of them has a run blocking grade any better than average. So... If you're looking for a reason that our running game has been struggling this year, I know Devontae Freeman has gotten a lot of flack from fans, and there have been some legitimate reasons for that. But no one on our starting offensive line has a run-blocking grade that measures as uh, above average or higher. We literally got nothing but average or below average, or in a few cases, guys who are poor at run-blocking. Now, as for pass-blocking... Uh, the, the story is a little bit better there. Obviously, again, Jake Matthews is our best pass blocker by a long shot. But if we look at the rest of the guys on the offensive line, uh, Alex Mack, he is still ranking as you know a, a, a above average. Now, in the past, he is usually ranked as high quality elite in that category. So he has taken a step back. He's still good, 
but he is not sort of the top-tier pass blocker he has been in the past. We've seen that with him as, as well. He's, he's had really a down year. Uh, he is sort of in the middle of the pack with grades. And, and Alex Mack has consistently through his career in, into Atlanta has been ranked as high-quality, borderline elite as an offensive lineman. This year he is ranking as simply average, which is a huge downgrade from where he has been in the past. Is it age? Is it the scheme? Is it injuries? It's hard to say for sure. But obviously the trend here is not positive. He is, he is having a down season for, for his normal uh, incredibly high standards. But he is our second best um, pass blocker on the offensive line. So Matthews, Mack, about what you would expect. After that, um, you know it, he didn't have many snaps, but one of the positive things to take away from Chris Lindstrom before he went out on injury was he had a really good pass blocking grade, and you know he was his run blocking grade was uh, average, but his pass blocking grade was high quality. Uh, so a lot to be excited about. If he can get back in the second half, we may finally see some stability at least at one of the guard spots. Uh, hoping he can get back pretty soon. Um, Jamon Brown uh, ranks as about average as a pass blocker, and, and James Carpenter is poor. So. Again, it, it, you're seeing sort of this mixed bag on the offensive line. It, it is not much of an improvement over what we saw in 2018. If anything, the fact that you've got Alex Mack taking a step back from where he was previously, the fact that Jake Matthews, uh, even though he is having a good season uh, compared to the rest of his teammates, is you know his scores are not where they have been the past few years. You know he is you know 10 to, to 15 points lower than where he was in 2018. That tells you our offensive line is struggling. We see it in the games. We see this Falcons team unable to run the ball consistently. They've had very, very few games where they have had a running game that has been meaningful. Now, some of that, obviously, is when you are down by 10-plus points going into you know six out of your eight games at halftime. The, the Falcons have been down 10 or more points six out of their eight games at halftime. You have to abandon the run. You have to start throwing the ball, and that's going to keep your running statistics from being good. But even when they've tried to run it, the performances have just been underwhelming. Uh, you've got guys like Devontae who are, who's averaging you know, well under four yards per carry. Uh, and it, it, I don't have to tell you, these stats sort of back up what we're seeing. Um, and in total, the offensive line right now is just not graded particularly well. Outside of Matthews, no one else ranks as above average. Even, like I said, Mack is the next highest offensive lineman on this list and he is ranking even just as an average player which is stunning considering where his career has normally taken him so if you're looking for one of the units on this team that has been a a disappointment for the Atlanta Falcons clearly the offensive line is one of them and these numbers they back up what we're seeing on the field now one of the things I get asked about a lot are how are the young guys doing how are some of these, you know, younger players, guys that we drafted this year, last year, maybe the year before, you know, essentially the future of this team? What does the picture look like for them? So I want to touch on a few of these guys because I actually think there are some positive takeaways here. Uh, I'm actually really encouraged by what we're seeing out of some of these young guys. Um, so I want to start first with the name that came up earlier, Jaden Graham. Uh, he is a second-year player. He spent his entire first year with the Falcons on the practice squad. Uh, he is more of a receiving tight end. He's out of Yale. He was brought here by the recommendation of Foye Olukon, who uh, basically told the Falcons, hey, I played this guy at Yale. He's, you know, he's really good. They brought him into camp. They really liked him last year. 
Uh, they were extremely excited about him this year. In fact, Jaden Graham is one of the reasons the team felt comfortable moving on from uh, Eric Saubert, who you know we traded to the Patriots and who ultimately didn't even make the roster. I think Saubert is actually on a practice squad somewhere else in the NFL now. And Jaden Graham is you know, one of our uh, three tight ends on the roster. Um, he actually beat out um, uh, Logan Paulson for that final tight end spot. And he's a young guy. Uh, like I mentioned, he is our third highest graded player. Now, again, uh, or fourth highest graded, pardon me. Uh, again, that's on 28 total snaps. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, but the numbers across the board are, are very encouraging. He is above average in every single category. He is an above average uh, receiver, above average in pass blocking, uh, and above average as a run blocker. Uh, so if you're looking for someone that can pair up nicely with Austin Hooper, potentially, again, we got to see more than just 28 snaps, but uh, the at least right now, the trend is positive. Jaden Graham is someone that I think the Falcons are going to want to build on. You know, he is an undrafted free agent, so they're not paying him a lot. And it's this could be, again, one of those nice finds uh, in free agency for the Falcons. Another player I want to highlight and mention him again, number five on our top five uh, best players this year for the offensive side of the ball by Pro Football Focus is Calvin Ridley. Uh, he is, you know, he is rated as a high quality receiver. Uh, you know, for a score, really where he got knocked was as a run blocker. Um, so for people who are missing Muhammad Sanu, one of the things Sanu has traditionally been really good at has been as a run blocker. Um, and actually, one of our best run-blocking uh, receivers this year, uh, we'll get to in just a second. It's going to surprise some of you. you. You think you know who the answer is, but you probably don't. Um, but yeah, Calvin Ridley has, has actually taken a little bit of a step forward. He's now what you would consider above-average, borderline, high-quality player uh, You know, in, in just his second year. And with Mohamed Sanu now gone to the Patriots, I would think that Calvin Ridley is someone that has got the potential to move the needle even higher, uh, to move those scores and move his performance into that high-quality tier. Uh, you know, Maybe right there with the Austin Hooper, the Julio Jones, the Matt Ryan. You know, he's in that list now. Uh, he's got to get his score a little bit higher to be sort of in that same tier, if you will. But he is obviously trending up compared to where he was last year. The next name on this list, which I know a lot of fans have been talking about this year, um, Edo Smith. His The thing is with Edo, we see a lot of big plays, um, and he is someone that I think, uh, you know, if you look at what he is doing as uh, a runner, it looks a lot better. Um, and I, I think I mentioned earlier, I, I got something wrong. I said he was a good pass blocker. That's actually not true. It's the opposite. He is actually a very poor Pass blocker. Um, I was looking at Chris Lindstrom's grade, who is right beneath him on the list. Uh, so to clarify that, Edo Smith, not a good pass blocker. Um, he is good as a receiver. He, he, he ranks as about average, above average, and above average as a runner. Uh, his run blocking is average. So he's sort of an average running back. And if I, I think if you looked across the league, you compared Edo Smith to other running backs in the league, that's a fair assessment. Um, can he be better than this? That's a, that remains to be seen. Um, the last player I want to highlight because his profile has stepped up considerably this year compared to last year and has stepped up far more, especially with Mohamed Sanu now gone to the Patriots, and that is Russell Gage. Obviously, we brought him in to be a special teams guy. 
Um, through eight games, he's got 128 snaps, so he's he's actually getting you know a decent number of snaps. For comparison, Luke Stalker, you know our primary blocking tight end, has 193 snaps. So Gage is not too far behind him, and that number is probably going to trend up considerably now that Sanu is gone. And it looks like he, Gage is really slotting into that wide receiver three role with this team behind Jones and Ridley, of course. And the, the good news is here is he is grading out right now as uh, an above-average player. And that's in his second year. And, and you've got to remember, this guy... Uh, when he went into college, he only played receiver for two years. You know, he was a corner. He was in the secondary for, for two years. And uh, we've got him a wide receiver. Uh, he obviously looked really good in the preseason, was making a ton of plays. I think some of that has transferred over. Really excited about his potential. The thing that sort of blows me away is he is, bar none, our highest graded run blocker, period. That's when you compare him to fullbacks, Running backs, offensive tackles, he has got a high-quality run-blocking score. Is that a small sample size? Yeah, he's played 38 snaps where he served as a run-blocker, so take it with a grain of salt. But it is at least encouraging to know that as uh, that number three wide receiver, you can put him on the field both to catch the ball and in running situations where you need him to throw a key block downfield for a play for your running back. Um, he's showing that he's capable of it. And that is, you know, pretty significant, especially when you consider that historically, Justin Hardy has been one of our better run blocking receivers, has been someone that has actually served really well in that role. Gage is showing that he can fulfill that role. And that probably is going to be a big reason why you'll see Gage on the field far more than Justin Hardy, because not only can he serve as a receiver and a downfield threat, because again, Gage has some, you know, really high measurables as as an athletic guy, more so than even Justin Hardy, uh, that now if he can also serve as a quality run blocker, someone that can throw blocks, uh, you know, downfield to help, you know, gain an additional 5, 10, 15 yards, whatever it is, that's going to factor heavily into his playing time going into this season. One last thing I want to touch on, uh, because I think this is notable for this Falcons offense, the penalties, uh, we've seen quite a few this year. Uh, some of the numbers that stood out, some, someone told me on Twitter that Jake Matthews is a heavily penalized player. He actually only has two penalties through eight games, so I don't know where that number came from. Um, the highest penalized player this year, and again, I think it just goes back to the fact that he's having a rough season for some reason, Alex Mack with seven penalties on the season. Uh, it, it's Obviously been a, a down year for him. Behind him is James Carpenter, who has four penalties. And then you've got several guys like Caleb McGarry, um, Jamon Brown, both have three penalties each. Uh, Calvin Ridley has three penalties. Uh, and then past that, you're into a handful of guys that have two, one, uh, each of them. So anyhow, what does this picture paint about the Falcons' offense uh, for the entire season? To be honest, we don't have anyone in the elite category. In the past, Julio was always a shoe-in for elite. Matt Ryan was always borderline elite, high quality in, in that range. Many of your main stars, like Julio, Matt, um, Jake Matthews, Alex Mack, they're all trending lower than they have been in the past. So that's one of the things that's concerning. That's one of the things you look at and you say, why are they not playing up to their normal standards? Is it the coaching? Is it the scheme? Uh, I, I think that is a conversation that's worth having. You know, when your top guys are not playing up to their normal standards and it's sort of across the board, 
that triggers, I think, some really hard conversations that need to happen. Are you doing something schematically that these guys aren't comfortable with? Are you asking them to do something on the field that they're not good at? Uh, it points to coaching, obviously. Uh, secondly, we have a lot of young guys who are trending up. You know, when you look at Brian Hill, he he also has a very good score uh, according to PFF. He's one of our top ten guys. Guys like uh, Brian Hill, Russell Gage, Calvin Ridley, Jaden Graham, Austin Hooper. You know. It, You've got a lot of older guys on this team, but some of these young guys are trending up. They've got good scores for where they are in their careers, um, and that's encouraging. So I think if you know, it, it, in this one in seven start, it's hard to take away a lot of great positives. But if there's one thing to sort of be encouraged by, you know, Chris Lindstrom as well uh, with his great pass blocking grade before he went on an injury. Um, we have a lot of young guys that are going to be potentially the core of this team for the next five six years. And they're looking good so far. Now, obviously, sample size this season, we need to see how they play out. Uh, but the early results are promising. So if you're looking for a positive, guys, that's one I can give you uh, in this 1-7 season, which I know is very frustrating. So if you guys have questions about anything else, any other trends that I saw in this PFF analysis, please reach out to me on Twitter. You can find me at FalcoholicDW. Uh, I interact uh, on that site Every single day, you can find me. I try to be as responsive as possible. Feel free to hit me up with questions, uh, anything that you're curious about, and I'll do my best to answer them. Otherwise, uh, stay tuned for our next podcast where I will be covering the Atlanta Falcons defense and what those scores look like. As you can imagine, there are a lot of takeaways to come from one of the worst defenses in the league. Some of them will be very surprising. So stay tuned to the Falcoholic podcast where you can find here, of course, uh, and and when possible, Gina Thomas and I will get together again for the normal Falcoholic podcast. We will be bringing Crossfire back in the very near future. A lot of stuff to debate on that podcast. And, of course, every week on the post-game podcast with myself and Evan Birchfield. So, guys, thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for our analysis of the Falcons' defense. And thanks as always.